dark speak here. Oh my lord. It's different having taken off the ears. And so this is such an honor. I just want to pray over you and then, yeah. Lord, thank you for our friend Doug. Thank you that uh, he could come and thank you that he could share with us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak to us through him. May this be uh, such a delight for us, but also for him and his team. May this be refreshing. And more than anything, Lord, I ask that you, um, in this moment, uh, let truth settle in our hearts, even where we probably are resistant. May truth settle in our hearts to call us into all you're doing in our, in our lives, in our families, and even in our city. So bless you, Doug. Hey, well, hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Douglas, uh, as Pastor Edgar just told you, and I am so just delighted to be here with you, honored to be able to speak today. Um, I am the pastor of Molly Waits, who is a part of this congregation, and I am her pastor when she is in her home in the U.S., in, in Florida, and I've been her pastor uh, since the day she gave her life to Jesus and decided to follow him. And our church uh, partners with her and has been a part from the very beginning of uh, Springs of Hope Kenya and the children's home that, that she uh, has built there. And so I'm delighted to be there. And uh, I think about this with Molly. I know that she's at her home in the US and Florida. And so she's gonna be watching this and uh, either like right now or later. And so I'm gonna do my absolute, I should say, hi Molly, uh, we wish you were here, and I'm gonna do my best not to embarrass you so much that you feel like you can't come back to your church anymore. All right, uh, let's pray, and then we're going to look at some scripture together. Um, hmm. Our Father in heaven, um, we are just delighted to be in this space together in this moment. And, Father, we, we understand that in a very real, if not mysterious way, that you are in this space with us. And so we ask, Lord, that you would find a way to speak into all of our souls. And we trust that you will say exactly what our souls need to hear from you. And so we want to meet with you this day, Lord. And so I pray that that would be the case for all of us and may every single one of us leave here today with more hope than we had coming in, more joy than we had coming in, more peace than we had coming in, because we met you. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed and said, amen. All right, today, um, we're going to step into a moment in the life of Jesus, and this moment we're going to step into um, we get a real glimpse into who Jesus is. And so it's one of these moments in his life 
where when you, you don't just hear what he said, you don't just see what he did, but you get to peek into the very essence of who Jesus is. And I just want to tell you that from my experience, um, walking with Jesus for decades now, he is so remarkably wonderful and beautiful and magnetic that I, it's almost like I can't help but, but to, be, to be drawn to him. And so before I read this narrative, um, I want to set it up. I want to set it up with a little phrase that, 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 that we use in America, uh, where, where we say, three strikes and you're out. So if you're a baseball fan, uh, you know that. But you might say here, three demerits and you're out. You're, you're gone, you're done. And so it, it plays out like, sort of like this, where, where I live in the US, in Florida, um, we use this term in our criminal justice system. So if, if somebody commits a felony crime and goes before a judge, the judge will say, that's demerit number one. And the judge will send you to jail and you will go to jail for a while. And then eventually you get out. And if when you get out, you commit another felony crime, you go back before the judge, and the judge says, demerit number two, and he sends you back to jail. And then after a time, you get out. And if once again, after getting out, you commit yet another felony crime, you go before the judge, and the judge says, that's demerit number three. You're out. You're out for good. You no longer get to be a part of society. You no longer get to live among those who are free because you are beyond hope. You are, you are hopelessly bad and you are beyond being reformed. It is three demerits and you are out. You are no longer deemed worthy to live as a free man or free woman. So we people who are good, we, we will live in society, but you are out of society for the rest of your life because you are bad. Pretty severe, right? You are out and you are out for good. Now, sometimes this same way of dealing with bad people in our legal system, sometimes religion does the very same thing with bad people, that you are out. And so, um, there's an important part of every single one of us that wants to know who's in and who's out. Am I in or am I out? Because when it comes to God, I want to be in, don't you? I mean, I absolutely don't want to be out when it comes to God. And so for most of religion, it kind of works like this. We ask, okay, who's in? And the answer is, <laughs> Well, I'm in, right? I'm in, and, and people like me are in. My tribe is in. People who believe like me are in. People uh, who, who vote like me are in. But people who are not like me, people who are not a part of my tribe, people who don't vote like I vote, people who don't believe like I believe, well, they're out. And so there is this fascinating moment in the life of Jesus where Jesus actually answers this question who's in and who's out and we're going to take some time to look at this passage of scripture together this moment in the life of Jesus and this moment is recorded by one of Jesus closest friends 
His name was John. And he wrote an account of a narrative of the life of Jesus. And so in his book, in John chapter 4, Jesus initiates a conversation with a person, a person for whom, as far as religion was concerned, was a three demerits and you are out person. And this person knew it, and everybody who knew this person knew it. And in this moment, we get this fascinating insight into who Jesus is. So now, be, before I read the narrative, and it's in John chapter 4, I want to recount this person's three demerits, and then we'll read the account of this person. And let me begin by warning you, okay, when I tell you these demerits, I'm only the messenger. All I'm doing is telling you uh, what, what the narrative says about this person and why they were out, okay? So don't shoot the messenger, because you may find yourself saying, are you kidding me? That's religion. I knew religion was like this. So here, here are the three demerits of this person that Jesus is going to have an encounter with. And the first demerit was this, is that ethnically, they were a Samaritan. So if you're not familiar with that term, you're wondering, what's the big deal about being a Samaritan? And why would that be a demerit to be a Samaritan? Um, there's a whole historical context to this, but I just want to say, say in this way, I guess, it's, Samaritans were an ethnicity, and there was a huge rift between those who were Jews and those who were Samaritans. It was a political, uh, ethnic, and a religious rift, and that's like a dangerous cocktail, isn't it, when you start mixing politics and religion and, and ethnicity together? It's almost explosive, and so the backstory is the Samaritans were people who came from the Jewish tribe, but they intermarried with people from the Babylonian Empire and other countries, and so ethnic Jews were absolutely disgusted with these people. In fact, they literally despised them because they were intermarrying with these heathens, with these pagans. They were intermarrying with people who were out and having children with them. Uh, and so they began to crassly refer to these people and to these children as half-breeds. So in this moment, the person Jesus is going to interact with is a Samaritan. And no upstanding righteous Jew would be caught dead interacting with a Samaritan, much less standing on their land. Demerit number one. This person was a Samaritan. Demerit number two. Before I say this, may I remind you, I'm only the messenger. I am only recording the cultural and religious norms of the day. So here we go. Demerit number two, this person was a woman. And, and I'm only the messenger. All right. Because in that day and in that time and in that culture, women had no rights, no authority, no voice, no power, and in many parts, they were actually considered property. And so a Jewish man, a good Jewish man, uh, was very, very grateful to God that he was not a woman. And so every single morning, a good Jewish man would pray this prayer. And this prayer comes directly from the Jewish prayer book, Siddur. 
So a man would rise up in the morning and he would pray, Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, that has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. How's, like, how's that for your morning prayers, huh? Uh, did you notice the order? I thank God that I was not born a Gentile, because Gentiles are low. Or a slave, which is lower. Or, dare I say it, or a woman, right? So apparently in this culture, there was something even worse than being a slave. It was being a woman. Demerit number one, this person Jesus is going to talk to is a Samaritan. Demerit number two, this person was a woman. And now demerit number three, she was labeled a moral reprobate. She was a serial adulterer. And so as far as the religious leaders were concerned with this woman, this is three demerits and you are out. You are gone. You are beyond any kind of hope, permanently gone. And because you are out with God, it means, therefore, you're out with us too, right? We are in, she is out. She has three demerits against her. And so because she is out and so far out there is no hope for her, the religious leaders felt totally, completely justified to condemn her, to judge her, to speak badly of her, to abuse her, to disdain her, because she was out. She's out, 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 and there is no hope for her. Now, before we get too harsh on religious leaders every day, doesn't religion do the same thing today? I mean, let's just be honest. Because there are certain people we think are out. And so, it goes like this. If you are a fill-in-the-blank for yourself, then you're out. Or if you are a, go ahead, fill in that blank, who is that? You're out. And because you're out, well, I don't think there's any hope for you. There's no way you could be in if you don't believe like I believe. There's no way you could be in if you don't live by my moral standards. And so then we feel completely free to demonize these people, to degrade them or abuse them. So now, let's read the narrative where Jesus purposely, intentionally, relates and interacts with this three demerits and you are out person. A Samaritan woman who is remarkably immoral. It's in John chapter 4. And uh, it, by the way, it is a long passage and it's very, very, very detailed. And I'm going to read most of it for you. It's so long, you might think John was getting paid by the word. <laughs> but, but he wasn't. Uh, and... Uh, it's, it's so long, you may think I'm getting paid by the word, but I'm not either. But every single nuance, every single detail is important. And that's what I've discovered in reading Scripture. Pay attention to the nuances. Don't just skip over details, because they're an important part of the story. John is wanting to communicate something to us about Jesus. So don't miss the details. All right, uh, John chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. It says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. 
Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples, when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. There's a backstory there too. The religious leaders were trying to divide the followers of Jesus. And so they thought, let's create a little healthy competition between Jesus and John the Baptist. So they actually sent somebody to count noses. Who's baptizing more people? And then, hey, John, John, did you know that Jesus' disciples are baptizing more than you? And so Jesus says, I'm not playing that game. Come on, guys, we're going to leave this area. John, you keep baptizing. Verse number uh, four. Now, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph, Jacob, excuse me, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John gives his editorial comment, uh, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from himself and did as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become to him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you get the idea they're talking about different kinds of water? So the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water, he told her, well, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. So Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that." Messiah called Christ is coming and when he comes he'll explain everything to us I think she was kind of saying what did you all just say Jesus but one day the Messiah will come and then then then, then we'll get it then Jesus declared I who speak to you am he just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman but no one asked what do you want or why are you talking with her then leaving her water jar, the, water, the woman went back into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And then Jesus and the disciples have an interesting conversation about food. And then we pick up the account in verse number uh, 39. 
Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Some of the Samaritans came to him. They urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Whew. All right. Long narrative, long story, but oh, what an important, important story that is so detailed in this moment. All right, let's, let's unpack this, all right? We're going to go back through it and look at some of the details because I think it shows us um, the beautiful, inclusive, radically loving nature of God. Let that sink in. The beautiful, the inclusive, the radically loving heart of Jesus and of God. And I just want you to know, it is this character of Jesus that drew me to him. And I've never been able to walk away when I discovered who Jesus is and the love of God that is given to me. All right, verse number four. Did you notice it said he had to go through Samaria? Again, notice the details. So Jesus is traveling from point A to point B, right? So he pulls out his iPhone. He looks on the maps. And he realizes, there's a lot of different ways to get there, aren't there? But it says, he had to go through Samaria. It wasn't like there was the only option. He could have gone around Samaria. He could have totally uh, avoided it entirely, but John says he had to go to Samaria, a place that no self-respecting Jew or religious leader would ever go through because those people are out. And if you are an in-person, and Jesus was certainly an in-person, you don't associate without people and you don't, you don't go where out people live. I think Jesus thought he had to go through Samaria because he had to go through Samaria. And he had to go through Samaria, I think, because he wanted to teach us and his disciples something about God and something about how God feels about out people. There was something Jesus wanted to communicate to his disciples and then to us about the grace of God for all we humans. So Jesus, the one who was in, says, no, no, no. I have to go to the land of the out. I'm going to stand on their soil. And I'm going to associate with people who are considered out. And don't religious people behave the same way so many times today? Yeah. I'm not going to go there. Because out people go there. I can't be seen without people, because then people think that I'm an out person too, but I'm an in person, and I don't want them to think I'm, I'm an out person. Or I, 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 I can't I don't know if I can stand the thought of out people stepping into my church. People think, what kind of a church are we? 
People who do that? Verse number six. It was about the sixth hour, or which, which is like noon time. And uh, you wonder, okay, John, why did you have to tell us the time? Was it that important that you tell us what hour it is that this happens? And apparently so. And I think it's significant because during the course of that time, um, at the noon hour, it was the heat of the day, so people would close down their shops, retreat to their homes, they would have a lunch and maybe a nap, and nobody was out on the streets. I think the time is significant because this woman that we just read about, she is an out person who goes out at this time because she knows all the in people are going to be indoors. And so she doesn't have to associate or be seen in this moment. She can avoid the people who've been judging her, who've been condemning her, because I think she was just sick and tired of going to the well and standing there while the other women whispered just loud enough so she could hear, there she is. There's the home wrecker. There's that shameless whore again. So she would rather walk in the searing sun when everybody was in than have to go to the well. People tell me why they don't want to go to church. They want to know God. They want to know who He is. But they don't want to go to church and get the shaming looks. They don't want to be ignored by others. They don't want to be condemned from the speaker up front for who they are and for their, for their life. And so they don't put themselves in that environment. Yet Jesus interacts with people who are considered out. And where does he interact with them? In the, in the land of the out. What does that say to me and to you if you're a follower of Jesus about who we associate and where we go. So Jesus engages this woman. He asks, <coughs> he asks her for a drink. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't ignore her. He engages her and he treats her with dignity and respect. And she is so surprised. She says, verse number nine, you're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. Notice she adds her first two demerits. And she says, so how can you ask me for a drink? And then John gives us a little editorial comment that in your scriptures is in parentheses. He says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. He says, just in case you're not aware of the history, you don't understand what's going on, we don't even talk to each other, okay? And then Jesus says these words to her in verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So she says, kind sir, according to you Jews, I'm out. You're in. 
In people have nothing to do without people. I mean, I get it, Jesus, I understand, I'm out. I know my standing, I know my place. And Jesus' response is, you may be out as far as religious people are concerned, but you are not out as far as God is concerned. And I mean, just let that soak in with what Jesus is saying in the course of this moment. And then Jesus says these words, if you only, woman, if you only knew, oh, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, if you only understood who God is, if somehow we could take away this, this filter of everything you've been told about God from religious people, if you only knew the gift that God has for you, if you only knew the life that God has for you, moment if you only knew that God sees you and God wants you and God cares for you. I, I read this of Jesus and I think, how in the world, how in the world are people supposed to know this transforming truth that God sees them if we the people who say we are the people of God do not see them. How will they know? How, how will people know that God cares for them? Unless we, the, the, the people of God, care for them. How will we know? How will they know that God wants them? Unless we, the people of God, want them. Too often, this is what happens. The people who say they are the people of God, we communicate loud and clear. You're not really wanted here or with us. We don't really care what happens to you in your life. And we certainly, well, we don't love you either. And so guess what they begin to believe? If the people of, who say they are the people of God, if they don't want me and they don't care and they don't love me, then therefore God must not care and God must not want me and God must not love me either. And I think it breaks the heart of the people who hear this and I think it breaks the heart of the Heavenly Father himself because I am convinced that God wants everybody. Everybody, everybody, everybody. Because everybody is made in his image. So now the Samaritan, three demerits and you are out woman, this human being, she is longing for meaning in her life. She is, she is longing for a place to belong. She's longing for purpose. And because she's made in the image of God, she's also longing for God. But she has been told God is not available to her because she is a Samaritan woman living an immoral life. So Jesus says to this woman, if you only knew, woman, if you only knew it's available to you too and then Jesus makes this very curious ask of the woman verse 16 he says why don't you go back and get your husband then come back and we'll talk some more and she replies uh, I, I don't have a husband and Jesus knows this I mean he's not surprised by this knowledge right Jesus knows 
her situation. He's fully dialed in, but Jesus goes there. And I'm sure she's thinking, oh, he went there. Why did he go there? And Jesus responds with this answer, and he says this. He says, that's the truth. But the full truth is, you've had five husbands, and your current man that you're living with, you're not married to. Why would Jesus go there? Why? I mean, I read this and I think, there must be a reason, right? I mean, he, he already knew this. So why does Jesus go there? I think, don't, doesn't it in this moment almost sound like Jesus, like every other religious leader she's ever met? Let's go to your morals, honey. Let's talk about this life you've been living and, and shame her. It's, it's almost like, okay, is he going to take her past and now like rub her nose in it? So Jesus reminds her of her moral record. And I really, really, truly do not think Jesus is shaming her. I don't think Jesus is rubbing her nose in it. I think Jesus is communicating something remarkably important to her and to us. I think Jesus is saying, woman, you're afraid right now, aren't you? You're afraid that uh, if we go talk about your moral record, you're afraid, um, I'm going to tell you that God doesn't love you just like every other religious leader has told you. You're, you're afraid, you're, I'm going to tell you God doesn't want you. You're afraid that, that, that if we go to your moral record that I'm going to shame you. I'm going to tell you how bad you are. You're afraid that if somehow this part of your life is known that, that I won't accept you and I won't want you, so you're hiding. Don't we do that? Anybody ever do that in dating or doing it right now? It's like you're getting to meet somebody. It's like, oh, I want this person to like me. And you're getting to know each other. And so there are certain parts of you in your past that are really good. And you want to make sure they know about that part of you. But there's certain parts of you and your past that you're not so sure you want them to know about. Because if they know about that, they may not want you. So you hide those pieces of your past, and you don't share the fullness of who you are. We just stay quiet about those, those points and those pieces of who we are. We've got to know it's safe first, right? So Jesus is saying this to the woman. One, I'm safe. You are. The safest you've ever been in your life, right here in this moment with me. And I want you to know God is safe. And I'm fully aware of all the pieces of your moral record, but you are still wanted and you are still loved and you still have value. Isn't this a powerful, mind-boggling demonstration of God's love in this moment? That God sees us just as we are, who we are, and He wants us. That's another kind of love. That's another kind of love. And, and then by His grace and His power, God takes us to be the person we've always longed to be, and He takes us to the life we've, we've always longed to live. Do you realize this would have been, wouldn't this have been just the perfect moment for Jesus to lower the boom on her? Woman, look what you've done with your life! What were you thinking? Look at who you've become. 
But he doesn't, does he? He does not do that. I think Jesus knows she already knows all this, right? And I think Jesus is like, I mean, don't, don't you think this woman is already frustrated enough with, with her moral track record? Yeah, I mean, do, do you think we gotta go like rub her nose in it again? Don't you think she is already just frustrated to wit's end over these dead-end relationships she keeps ending up in? Don't you think she's sick and tired of it? Do you think she needs to hear about it all again from me or from somebody else? Oh my goodness. Don't you think she's already suffered enough self-loathing and, and shame? Why do we need to add to this? So Jesus says, there is a life that the Father in heaven has created you for. There, there is a person that God has created you to be. And so Jesus says, if you only knew. Listen, I know who you are. I, and, and I want you to know that you are loved and you are wanted and you are welcome. And we can't wrap our minds around this, can we? Because these voices in our heads that keep, that keep told, telling her again and again and again have told her her whole life, you are no good, you are shameless, you are bad, you are a three demerits person and you are out. And all these voices start screaming in her head again. This is too good to be true. All my life I've been told that I'm out. So she continues to talk religion and she says, okay, Jesus, um, you Jews worship um, one way and in one place, and we, we Samaritans worship another way and another place, but one day, Jesus, one day, Jesus, the promised Messiah is gonna clear all this up for us. <laughs> now, can you imagine her shock when Jesus um, says, <clears throat> Uh, I'm that one who's speaking to you right here, right now. I, I'm he. I'm the one. Uh, and this, um, this well they were meeting at, it becomes the spot where a three demerits and you are out woman where her life intersects with a holy God. And all of a sudden, this becomes like sacred ground. It becomes like holy ground where a woman has been told by religion her whole life that God doesn't want her. God meets her in this moment in such a beautiful, beautiful way. And she just thought, I know where in is and I am so far out, I could never be in. And Jesus says, oh woman, in? Go so far out. There's always a space and a place for you to be in. And so she steps in to life through faith in the person of Jesus, and the light goes on for her. But the light does not go on for the disciples, does it? The disciples show back up with sandwiches from Java House. <laughs> and they walk up with some coffee and Java House sandwiches. And they say, huh? Huh? He's talking with a Samaritan woman, reprobate, 
What? But this woman has a newfound faith and new identity, and she leaves her water, and she runs back into town, and she tells people about this man she met at the well. She tells people about this, this place at the well where heaven and earth intersected for her. This is place where an out person experienced the grace of an almighty God. And the town hears this. Isn't this interesting? The woman they shun, the woman nothing to do with, the town starts to empty, and everybody starts to go out to the well. Why? Why? Because I think when they heard that God loves a woman as far out as her, maybe God loves me too. When they found that God wants a woman as far out as her, maybe God wants me too. I mean, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad, <laughs> right? I mean, I've done a few things, but I have not done that. So if God loves that and God wants that, there's, there's hope for me, baby. There's hope for me. And so they, um, they believed that God loved them and they believed that God wanted them. And so, friend, I want to just tell us all that we all have a story. We all have stories. We all have past. Please do not pretend that you don't have a past. And we all have a present. Sometimes we think we have to hide our stories, don't we? I just want you to know that God is safe. So let me wrap this up with this. So the other night, I met Molly's camp, uh, Camp Kambiamani, Camp of Peace a beautiful ecotourism camp. And in her camp, there is this hill that overlooks the entire city of Nakuru. And so my wife and I went up to the hill at night and we're looking out over the, the city of 400,000 people, is it? The city and just all the lights in the valley below us. And it was so beautiful, like we were taking selfies so she could post it on Facebook. And, <laughs> Yeah, we're here, you're not. <laughs> and But I'm standing there, and I'm just getting almost mesmerized by the beauty. And then it suddenly it dawned on me, every single one of these lights are homes. And in every single one of these homes, there's people. Many people. And it represents such diversity of different tribes, different moral records. But the one thing they have in common is because everyone was made the image of God is this desire to know God. And I was looking over the city and I thought, where is that well, that space that people can go to, to know they're wanted, to know they'll be loved and they'll be cared for. And then my eyes went off towards Milamani. And I saw these lights in Milamani, and I, I thought of Pastor Edgar. I thought of Trinity Church. And I thought, there is a place. There is a place in this city where people can walk in 
And they can know that God wants them because they will be wanted. There is a place they can step in and know that God cares because they will be cared for. There is a place they can step in and know that God loves them because they will be loved. And it will be demonstrated in the look in our eyes when people walk in that you're not just welcome here, friend. You, you are wanted here. Do you understand? There's a seat at the table for you. And our arms would be an embrace that would show. Welcome home. Welcome to Trinity. Welcome home. You are wanted here. And this city needs that place. And you will be that place. You must be this place. For people will never know that God loves and wants and cares for them unless we want to love and care for them. So maybe you're here and you're wondering, does God want me? I have a past. In fact, I've got a present. Does God want an out person like me, someone with my moral record, someone with my demerits? And the answer is yes. Yes, 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 a thousand times yes. He does, he does, friends, he does. So give your life to him and he will give his life to you, pastor. Amen. Oh, thank you, Doug. Why don't I ask you to stand? <clears throat>